welcome to another edition of Turned Out a Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham. Once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, a wild one, a surprising one for me, like something I kind of knew about, but I had no idea it was going to go the places it goes. Ricky Rackman of the Headbangers Ball of the Cat House Hollywood podcast and of the infamous Cat House Club in LA as well, and also of WCW fame is on the podcast today to talk about punk and hardcore. Like, no, we, we get into metal, but we just really, you know, dip our toe into that. This is specifically about hardcore stuff. It's a great one, but more on that in one second. First, if you'd like to get in touch with me, the best way to do that is by heading over to the email address, turned out a punk podcast at gmail.com. That and the Facebook page for Turn Out a Punk. And the Instagram page for Turn It a Punk are run by my brother and show producer and normally guest booker, but this one is one of mine, Tristan Abraham. Thank you, Tristan, for all your hard work. I love you, buddy. Uh, also, if you'd like to get in touch with me, you can find me on various forms of social media at left for damien Speaking of ways to get in touch with us, now that's a terrible segue. Speaking of ways to support the show, the best way to support the show is by telling all your friends, letting everyone you know know that you enjoy this podcast. And if you do enjoy this podcast, I thank you for enjoying it. Uh, that's also how you build the, the, you build this thing. You know, you let people know and you kind of do it by the, by the grassroots. We're not going to be one of those podcasts that comes out here with like a splashy podcast network and doing ads and all that kind of crap. Now we're going to be doing it, you know, just, just the way we're doing it, spreading the word one by one, one person at a time. But Speaking of spreading that word, this word would not be possibly to be spread. Does it make any sense at all? Without the fine folks at Vans, Vans came aboard a few years ago and said, you know what, just do your podcast. We want to support you doing it, and they have. And so check out Vans and the House of Vans all summer long. Uh, you know, Vans has you know, been around for my band too, so I really appreciate them doing that for us here at this podcast as well. So that's it. On to today's show. Today on the show, Ricky Rackman of Headbangers Ball and Hollywood Cat House Podcast, or Cat House Hollywood Podcast, and uh, also WCW fame. But this thing all came about, you know, like I, I knew he had sang backups on that Fear song, and I heard rumblings that he was a punk rocker, and David Up told me that he used to hang out with Darby Crash. But this thing all started actually because of a tweet exchange that he was having with Danko Jones. Tweet exchange makes it seem negative. They were actually being very complimentary to one another. And Ricky mentioned liking Danko's appearance on Turned Out a Punk, and that got me involved in the fray. And next thing I know, I'm going to be talking to the dude from Headbangers Ball about L.A. Punk. And that's just why I do this podcast right there in a nutshell. I do this podcast because of situations like that. You know, here's someone... That I'm going to be honest with you, and I tell him this on the show, and he doesn't really believe me. I was familiar with him growing up, mainly from seeing him on WCW shows, and I knew he was the host of Headbangers Ball. But you know, only as an adult do I realize, you know, through listening to his podcast and reading more, like just how much of a role he played in that kind of early LA scene. But I had no idea how deep it went with his punk rock stuff, you know. So this is a this is a fantastic episode. It goes to all the places I like these things to go. We got some cool, cool stuff here. And 
to top it off, Scott Steiner stories. So, you know, you don't get a turn of a punk much better than this one right here. So I'm not going to ramble on anymore. I'm going to let you sit back, relax, and enjoy Ricky Rackman on Turned Out a Punk. Ricky, thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, this is going to be fun. I'm oh, excited. I am beside myself excited. As I was just <laughs> telling you off air, like your your message came completely like the, not message, sorry, but when you tweeted about me and tagged me in it, I caught me completely off guard. And yeah, like and then you know, knowing about your punk rock history, the chance to make this happen, I I did it within twelve hours. I think which is the fastest. Well, if you're a friend ever. of Danko Jones, you're okay. Oh well, that's that's much appreciated. Danko is a is one of the greatest. I probably I'm going to say the greatest Canadian of all time. I think I'm fairly oh. safe in saying that. <laughs> well, I don't, I can't, I, if I could think of five, I mean, <laughs> you're on that list right now just because I, I don't really know that many com- Canadians. Well, that's great. So it's going to be me, Danko, and Chris Jericho, I think, is your top three. There you go. There we go. <laughs> well, Ricky, I got to start this off the way I start them all off, which is how did you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across the genre? I do. Um, you know, most people, especially people that are like old school punk, hate the fact that I talk about punk rock, but they don't ever notice like, Hey, that second headbangers ball episode, the second show I ever did, I had a germ shirt on Mm -hmm. and I was always wearing that type of stuff because even though I didn't have any say in what videos were played, I was always able to wear whatever t-shirts that I wanted. And so if it was, you know, that, or even a Pennywise or TSOL or whatever it was, it was sort of my way of showing like, hey, you know, I can't pick these videos, but this is what I like. <laughs> um, and it's so funny. Like I like feel so old. I was listening to your show and, and I'm, you know, I'm, I was I was listening to the one you had with Wicca face. And it was like, yeah, and, you know, and I my, my first time getting into punk rock when I was when I heard Blink-182. And I just like, oh, my God. It's like <laughs> that's old school. It's like I remember when, you know, when Blink-182 let Bad Religion open up for him and I was like, these kids are – and I, and I went and I could not believe that people were screaming like it was a boy band. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and all Blink-182 did was just kind of made a commercial no effects, you know. But there's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, I'm that, that guy that hates anything new when it comes to <laughs> punk rock, you know. Myself was the best and, and that was it. And my gateway and – you know, people aren't going to want to admit it. People that are like old, like me, but my gateway in the late seventies was the very first Devo record because the first Devo when you like the first Devo record, that just kind of was like, okay, I like something that's a little bit different. Mm -hmm. And at that time, you know, they're really, you know, I was hearing rumblings about the pistols but it was like, you know, it was like Devo. I like Boomtown Rats. I like Generation X, stuff like that. And, you know, but I really wasn't hearing anything else. And then when I, then when I, that was the time I, I spent one year at high school in New Zealand. Then I went back to Los Angeles and there was a DJ that just, that, that still, even though a lot of people gave him a hard time, he doesn't get near the credit he deserves. And it's Rodney Bingenheimer who had a show called Rodney on the Rock. And he was playing bands, you know, before 
anybody heard him. And I remember, you know, sitting in school with my little tape player. It was me and my friend Drew Bernstein that we went to high school together. And Drew ended up starting the company Lip Service. And he was very big in the punk rock scene for a while, too. And um, me and Drew, we used to make tapes from the radio and bring them to school. And I remember like, dude, this is fucking the best and it was like it was agent orange blood stains so like i love this song this is the greatest and we'd bring all these songs this is the buzzcocks boredom this is this we listen to all these songs and we said okay we're gonna go to a punk rock show and it and the ramones were playing at ucla so there were two places that this is the late 70s that used to have punk rock shows there were two venues in chinatown and, and i was you know under 18 mm-hmm. you had madame wong's you had um the hong kong cafe it's Halloween. It's the Hong Kong Cafe. I remember this. I can't remember things that I did two months ago. <laughs> but I remember that me and Drew went, and the first band on was a band called Chinas Comitas. Don't remember anything about them. Yeah, I've never heard of that band. Chinas Comitas? Chinas. They, I don't, they, they honestly, that might have been their only show. I don't remember anything. I just remember the flyer. Wow. I remember okay. that they were the first band on. The second band on was Black Flag, and the singer was Keith Morris. Oh, wow. So that, that so, era. Yeah, so, and Keith Morris came out, and this is the first time that I'm seeing these punk rock bands, and I'm a kid, <laughs> and, and I'm seeing, and Keith Morris came out with a Spider-Man outfit, so I never saw what he looked like. <laughs> like the mask? And he had a Spider-Man, Spider-Man mask. Of course, <laughs> the whole song, this whole set in the Spider-Man mask. And, and so I saw them, and then on was Fear, and that was just, was just like blew my mind because all I care, I was one of those LA skateboard punks, but it wasn't really punk. Cause this, I mean, this is like the late seventies and I'm just this naive kid. And so I heard the, heard fear and I thought they were hilarious. And I remember them playing the song disconnected that really stuck out of my mind. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then after fear was the germs and I, Saw the germs, didn't get it, kind of thought they were one of the sloppiest bands I'd ever seen in my life. Mm-hmm. Really wasn't that into the germs. Um, and I'm pretty sure X played that night too, because I think if all the punk rock bands or maybe all the bands I've ever seen, it seemed like every show I went to, X was playing. That's an insane bill though. That's like. Oh, it, that, but that was, these bands were playing. It was such a community back then. Yeah. So I remember I saw, so I saw the germs and I was like, okay these these and i and i really wasn't sure if i liked it or not and then i remember i don't know this was right before gi was released but i there was something about them that kind of stuck out Mm -hmm. right and then i then i decided that's it man punk rock is it for me and this was still before a lot of the oc bands started playing and i mean the adolescents hadn't played yet Mm -hmm. and all this stuff so i started saying okay this is for me so then i went to another show and it was x and I think like the suburban lawns. I mean, it, I just kept on seeing, and more and more shows I kept on going to had this band, The Germs. And I went from like not really digging them to deciding that they were the most brilliant rock and roll band in the world. And to this day, I can say that there are certain words that I use in my vocabulary that I learned from the writings of Darby Crash. Like I would read his lyrics and even show his my mom his lyrics and 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 his lyrics are just incredible and even though i didn't really understand them all the time mm-hmm. i just thought they were brilliant and um and to this day i would say the germs are one of the most greatest rock and roll bands of all time because there was just something about the germs so i'd go to see them all the time and all the time i was always going to see the germs to the point that i got to know the guys in the germs 
and just being at shows all the time. And uh, some of the store and and then it was just like I mean I remember we had we had a club called the Fleetwood in Orange County and I remember the Adolescents playing their first show and still Adolescents Blue Record one of the greatest records of all. I mean if you were to say like the greatest my greatest rock and roll records of all times I would say TSOL Dance with Me Adolescents Blue Album and Germs GI. Mm-hmm. And I would put those up with I would the same place I would put Metallica, Master of Puppets, or anything like that. But punk rock is 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 where my youth was, and so we just started going to gigs all the time, constantly going to gigs. Um, if you remember the Germs movie, which was kind of weird, there was a guy, <laughs> yeah, that, to say the least. Yeah, well, there was a guy that they that they put in the Germs movie named Rob Henley. Okay. And Rob Henley in the movie was kind of portrayed as Darby's gay lover. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really see this, but I was hanging out with Rob all the time. And he was always this guy that like a lot of people in o- OC, like kind of, like he was an OC guy. And he was the guy that kind of taught me a little bit about the OC punk rock scene. Mm-hmm. And I remember there was like this gang then called the Vicious Circle and there was also a band. And I remember we'd go to L.A. and O.C. And O.C. gigs were a little bit different. Like I was L.A. I'd go to the Starwood. I'd go to, you know, whatever the clubs were there. But th- And then there were South Bay. I know I'm all over the place. But Dude, this so, is amazing. You're like – you're hitting I, all these things I want to go back to. So keep going. I get going. so excited when I talk about this because got to be honest. People talk to me when was the last time I saw Megadeth. And they don't really <laughs> ask me about this stuff. And, and, and I said one time in a spin interview, I said – I know more about Black Flag than Black Sabbath, and I got ripped to fucking shreds by the metal community. Yeah. But I don't care. But it's true. You know, I appreciate everything. I mm-hmm. love music. But punk rock is is where my youth was. So um, because of me being friends with Rob, I and I started meeting Darby and meeting all these people. One time when I went to high school, this is so hilarious. There was a, a movie that we got screening passes to. Mm-hmm. And it was at our high school and me drew and I asked, I'm like, Darby, do you want to go to the screening for this movie with us? He's like, sure. So he went to this movie screening at my high school with me. <laughs> there's, there's one Polaroid picture that is one of the greatest pictures when Darby, Darby went to ink. Well, here's a story that like any of the old school punkers probably have no idea that I was even in this scene, but there was this time that, that Rob Henley, um, went through the windshield of a car oh. and he was injured and he was calling Darby because Darby was in London and all this stuff. And everybody remember Rob Henley because he was such a big part of the scene. And I was the one that was driving the car. Oh. And it was so, it was so sad because um, we went to the Starwood, took a bunch of drugs. Um, I passed out, crashed a car. He went through the windshield. And I don't know if this is interesting to anybody that doesn't know the guy, but um, you know, he, we went to my mom's house and stayed at my mom's house and Rob's mom was going to go visit him at my mom's house. And he was so excited because he'd been in a car accident and his mom was going to come visit him. And he was so excited and his mom never, ever showed up. Oh, and I remember fuck. that was just like such a depressing part. But, but one time, um, my friend Drew had passes to Universal Studios. So we went on the Universal Studios tour. It was me, Drew Bernstein and Darby Crash. We went to the Universal Studios tour and Darby had gone over to London and he came back with this really hall, high, tall, skinny mohawk. Yeah, that's right? like the Darby Crash Band era, right? Yes, which I wasn't like. I, I, I hate to be honest. At that time, I was kind of like getting out of like the punk theme and 
kind of going towards more rockabilly stuff and everything else. <laughs> if, you, if people want to call me a poser from jumping music scenes, go ahead. But I, I had my taste of all music scenes. I loved it all. Yeah, no, I it, loved it, it, it seems like it was all more connected then too, right? Like it feels well, it like- was. I mean, Billy Duffy said it on your show. Like yeah. he says, you know, a lot of those people in the new romantic scene, you know, were old punks like Duran mm-hmm. Duran and Visage and stuff like that. And in L.A., I mean, people don't realize the Go-Go's were opening up for germ. Well, Belinda played with the germs. For yeah, she was a bit, drummer, but, right? Yeah, but that was like, I think, one show. <laughs> but the Go-Go's were playing like every punk rock show. And nobody was like, screw you. It's just like the Go-Go's would play all the punk rock shows. Mm-hmm. And um, and so we went, to, we went to, to Universal Studios with Darby Crash. And I remember that he came back, right? And he says, I saw Ban in England that this is the greatest band in the world. This was, this was like the most influential band. And he, and he wrote his, the name of the band on the back of his leather jacket. He says, it's the greatest rock band ever. I'm like, who is it? He goes, they're called Adam and the Ants. And that's when he started putting the makeup under his face. Mm -hmm. And he started doing all that stuff. That was kind of very similar to, to Adam. Yeah. Yeah. But I saw so many of the, just the greatest bands. And then I kind of started dropping out of the scene and, uh, you know, I was, I was a kid, but I, but I, all those great LA punk rock bands. And then, you know, I kind of left the scene and I've always been a fan of it, but I, you know, I went into all different kind of music cause that's just, cause I like music, you know? And then, um, in 1994, 92, I kind of wanted to, I started, Oh, here's a story that a lot of people don't know. I auditioned to be the singer of the angry Samoans. What? <laughs> I auditioned. I was a kid <laughs> and I went to, um, it was, I don't know if, it, I don't know if it was Bruce Duff that was in the band back then. I don't remember who it was in, but I remember going to somebody's house in the Valley in North Hollywood, like on Lancashire or something. And I went to audition to be the singer of the angry Samoans. And obviously I didn't get the gig because look, in my older age, even though I'm a biker and beard and tattoo, I don't look like a tough guy. Okay. When I was a kid, I was a baby face. (laughs) I was the ultimate baby face. So I just didn't pull it off singing for any of those bands, even though I wanted to sing in a punk rock band, but I couldn't, I was too baby face, you know? Well, like, had you seen Vom? Like how did, had they, had Angry Simone's played shows or were they just forming at that point or? I think they had already played. Okay. I'm, I'm sure they had already played because I remember listening to you stupid asshole. And <laughs> I don't know why they were think why the, and, and give me soper and, and stuff like that. So I guess they were trying a different singer or something. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't remember anything about it. I just remember that I went to somebody's house to audition for the angry Simones. I'm pretty sure I did. <laughs> That's I mean, awesome. it, it, it sure sounds familiar to me, but, yeah. um, but well, I wasn't there to refute it. So I can't uh-huh. refute you. Then and then what other people don't know is that after while I was selling Headbangers Ball, I joined a, we started a band called Battery Club that had my friend Roger Ramjet from Orange County that's played in every freaking OC punk band. It had John Mauer that was in Social Distortion, John Knight that was in DI, um, John Bosco played a lot with DI, all those things. And and uh, I've always had an appreciation for that music, and I always loved that music, and I still will put TSOL Dance with Me against anything as far as music but that was the music that you know that and then you know when i opened up the cat house which was which was my rock club that kind of got me to where i guess i am 
we were playing the Pistols and we were playing as as much as we were playing Motley Crue. You know, a lot of the, you know, a lot of that 80s rock, a lot of it came from people that were into punk. You know, TSOL played the cat, cat house. The ads played the cat house. DI played the cat house, even though we were a rock club. Mm-hmm. What, one band I wanted to ask you about, did you ever see the band The Wigglers? Like they, they were rock mm-hmm. candy and it was like Vince Neil's band before. No. And it's like, no. they're like a punk band. Like even, you know, Motley Crue had punk roots. I mean, that's, I mean, people, I mean, some of the bands sometimes say they do, but then a lot of the bands also say like, oh, punk rock sucks. We hate punk rock. I was like, okay, whatever. <laughs> but I remember when I was like into punk and then I saw that Livewire video, I was like, okay, this is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Like when I saw the Motley Crue Livewire, I still like punk rock, but I, but I thought that video was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. But like, I mean, you know, I don't care what anybody says. Motorhead was punk rock to me. A hundred percent. You know, I would have put the Motorhead, Motorhead with with the damned. Yeah. You know, it was the same stuff to me. You know, and then where do you put? You know, I, I I've really been getting into vinyl, and I've got like ADD and OCD, and I had to stop putting my records by category and had to put them alphabetical because I would just sit here and stare and like. Where do I put Motorhead? Where do I put the Ramones? Do I yeah. put them in punk rock? Do I put them in rock? Do I put so I just gave up and put everything alphabetical <laughs> because I can't I can't do that, you know? Well, now I got to unpack everything you said because believe me, there's so much I want to dive into. So, going back to the very beginning, where were you hearing Devo? Like were they on the radio at that point or No, I lived I I I was a bad kid in high school in LA, so I had to go live with my father in New Zealand and I bought the record as an import and listen to it. And then I remember they played on, on Saturday night live. Mm-hmm. And, and I was, a, I was into skateboarding. I mean, I worked in a skateboard park, the whole thing. And, uh, so that's pretty much, and this is before Devo like got like big. I mean, we weren't really even using the term new wave. Mm-hmm. It was just something that was just very, very unique at the time that I didn't know it was new wave. I just know it was something, you know, different. I think it's even in the Darby crash book, like the, uh, that one that came out years ago that where they talk about how people used to drive by and yell, Hey, Devo's at the punk rockers. Like Devo was like the precursor insult to like new way. Pat smear. Recall, remember, cause I, I saw, I, I went and got saw, saw food fighters. So I got to see Pat, you know, which is always fun for me. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but Pat, remember, told me a story once that when, you know, there was also a good scene in the South Bay and there was a church that like everybody lived at mm-hmm. and everybody played at this church in the South Bay. And he remembers, you know, walking down the street and people yelled out meatloaf. <laughs> you know, they didn't know what to yell. <laughs> and he didn't, and he, I just, I don't remember this story, but he didn't know that meatloaf was a band. So he was like, why would somebody yell meatloaf? <laughs> oh, that's amazing. <laughs> And that's also, we went on tour with the Foo Fighters and I could definitely see Pat taking that from someone yelling meatloaf at him on the street. Right. <laughs> um, when, you, when you moved to New Zealand, were you like, obviously you're, you're very young, but what was the music scene like there? Because I love all that New Zealand flying nun record stuff that came out into the 80s. Don't, were you aware of any music stuff when you were there? The only band I, was rem- I remember was like a rock band called Hello Sailor that was pretty big back then. Okay. But... Um, when I went to New Zealand, the cool thing is I went to this uh, this school that you know everybody wore uniforms and it was it was a all male school and I was this long haired skate kid at that time and I go to New Zealand and you know the people were saying like hey let's let's mop up the 
the floor with this long haired American and I'd go to the headmaster, which is like a principal. And I said, look, you know, these kids all say they want to beat me up. I don't know what to do. He goes, here, here's so-and-so he'll be your friend. And he hooked me up with this guy to be his, be my friend. And then like during the break, he, him and his buddies were like playing tag with each other. And I was like, I got to get the hell out of here. These people play deep. They're like, tag, you're it, tag, you're it. And I'm like, I got to get the hell out of here. So I went to an alternative school with these like crazy punk kids and they would always bring music. And that's remember hearing that first Boomtown Rats album, which I just loved with Mary of the fourth form and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And I remember just liking that and then slowly but surely getting into stuff. And I'm sure that that's also where I got into the pistols and stuff like that. Cause I did love the first sex pistols record. I mean, everybody did. And when you got back to LA, had like punk hit by that point, or was it still no, like something that's no? This up? was this was the this was the late seventies. So I so this was right about when it was starting to hit. I mean, yeah. that's when we were hearing you know reading articles about the Clash. You know, I mean, not the Clash about the Sex Pistols. It's like, have you heard about the Sex Pistols? Yeah, this guy wants to kill himself on stage, <laughs> yeah. and hearing all these crazy things, and and I'm listening to this, I'm like. This song, this, this music's really good. I mean, everybody like, and then I think I went, and before I even got into the clash, I think I was really liking, you know, Sham 69, Cockney Rejects, Angelic Upstarts. It's funny. I, I, I was talking, you know, I, I mentioned earlier, like I have, I have memory problems and it's, it's, it's something that I am concerned about. I'm concerned why I, I have such memory problems, but I woke up the other day and I, and I remembered all the lyrics to never had nothing by the angelic upstarts that I hadn't heard that song for. And I just started singing that song to myself. I'll go, how come I can remember that song, but I don't know the words to most songs, but yeah. I remembered that song, you know, cause I thought that was such a great song. I mean, Hersham boys, I remember was another record from sham 69 that just, it had hard stuff. It had soft stuff. It would just had, you know, all those oi bands. I really liked them a lot too. Yeah, it's amazing how you hear those songs, like especially, you know, getting into punk rock, like the songs that you hear just become almost like the foundation. Like I I can still remember lyrics from, you know, later on getting into No Effects and Pennywise as some of the first bands. Like those songs come back to me and I can't even remember my own band's lyrics. Right, right, right. It's bizarre how that works. Yeah, I mean, those songs, the songs, I mean, put it this way. I remember there was a time that I hadn't heard the Adolescents Blue album for probably about 10 or 15 years. And I know the word that, the every, I mean, I know where once, I mean, now these, these damn kids, they just listen to songs. They don't listen to albums, you know, <laughs> but the blue album, you just put that on and it just goes song, 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 song. And you know, all the words to every song. And it, I mean, that stuff is just such good music. I mean, 1980, 79, 81 mm -hmm. is just such good music. The adolescents are weirdly like I would put them and like the misfits and maybe like the zero boys in a category of bands that like it's it's so good as like pop songs that it almost transcends punk as a genre and it becomes like something else. Right. Um, yeah, some of those songs I could see that. I mean, TSOL, who is another one of the all time great rock bands to this day i mean that music was when you listen to that dance with me record there's so much goth in it. well it wasn't really called goth but it was so like underground or death rock or so moody and 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 you can hear that in a lot of, of the music you hear it now and you know you wonder if some of these punk rock classics came out today if people would even say that it was punk rock but yeah you know. no definitely and, and also you bring up tsol and that's something i wanted to ask you about because you know being someone who's 
you know, going to these LA shows and being someone who's obviously very young, but like an LA kid. And then, you know, talking about the differences with what was happening in sort of like Orange County and, and more of that kind of scene. It's something that comes up on the show a lot with people that grew up there, that there was almost like a division point where all of a sudden the suburbs invaded LA and the punk scene changed. Did you witness that at all? It, you know what I witnessed? I witnessed the hot, rich girls liking the punkers. Mm-hmm. And that kind of started happening. So eventually there'd be like – I mean I remember that movie Valley Girl, Nicolas Cage. <laughs> yeah. For some reason that that sort of – that that comes to mind. Um, I think so. I mean there was a time when it became – you know, you know when, I remember when X opened up for Devo, when Devo was big and stuff like that. And all of a sudden it – you know, it it was hard to get. Sh- there there weren't a lot of shows because mm-hmm. places were getting shut down. Yeah, well, that's the thing you hear about is the violence. Apparently, that's when the violence really ramped up. And you brought up, you know, Vicious Circle, the the band and the the crew, and you know, suicidals. You hear a lot about. Like, it feels like there was a certain point where it went from, and this is what people have told me too, that it went from being this kind of like artier, punky scene to being more of like the quote unquote hardcore scene. Well, it went from what, and I know that this people are going to hate this word, but when it went from pogo dancing <laughs> to to slamming to beating the shit out of each other, yeah, because then it was like, and and that's and that was this, and that's a shame that that kept on happening. I mean, a friend of mine who who played in the Smut Peddlers, and he kept on saying, you know, it just got to be a point that that whether it was a lot of like skinheads would show up and the whole purpose was just not to get in the pit and, and, and it was just to get in the pit and just see who was the baddest and bust somebody's head and punch people and fight. And I was just like, come on, you know, I mean, it was fun to go up on the stage and get pushed around and fall down. But then Pete, the pit just got escalated and got more and more violent. And, and then there were gangs and just, mm-hmm. it was just the jug heads that wanted to go up there and pound somebody's head, you know, and you, you'd go to the cuckoo's nest and it was like, wow, I went to this great show at OC and, and, every, and now it's like kind of scary, especially when you're just like this, you know, young kid. Mm-hmm. And it, it's funny. Cause like the, the narrative that gets put forward now is that this is almost what kind of drove Darby out of the scene and made a move to England. But it, was that what you were witnessing or is that? I have no, after the fact? I have no idea. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not going to just kind of guess on certain things. I don't know. Yeah. Um, it was just like, like when it started, when it became the Darby crash band, I wasn't really that into it. I mean, then I was getting more to, I don't know. I, I think I probably saw Darby crash band once and I probably saw the germs like five or six times. Mm-hmm. But um, some of these bands I've seen, you know, five months ago, I saw TSOL. I saw – this is the funny thing. Like Jack Grisham, I've known for decades. I like – I think the world of Jack and I like all his different bands and he's just a good guy and I, I like Jack. But in my whole life, I never met Lee Ving. And I met Lee Ving about four months ago and I went to go meet him. And I was surprised that, A, he knew who I was, like he knew – because I think I wore a fierce shirt on Headbangers Ball. But he knew who I was, which was kind of a trip. And he was like so nice. He was like this like nice, happy, smiley guy that I was almost a little bit disappointed. <laughs> yeah, you want, <laughs> you, know? you want the asshole a little bit. <laughs> yeah, like I know you're like 70, but you can tell me to fuck off and it'd be all right. I took pictures with Lee Bing and he looks – and he's just – he was so, but he was still great. But he was just like all smiley, you know. I guess you know after a while you don't want people spitting on you anymore, you know. Yeah. But it was it was uh, it was so funny because I took a picture of them and he's like smiling and he's just really friendly and I was like, 
I mean, it's great that he was friendly because if he was an asshole, I would have been bummed off, bummed out. Yeah. But it was just still a trip that he was just like this, that it was leaving who for all these decades I've been intimidated by. And he was just like this really nice guy, you know? Yeah. Well, and, and, and did you tell him that you sang backups on that cover? <laughs> I don't think I did. I forgot oh. about that. I imagine that yeah. he probably made more money off that cover than he did off a lot of fear records. Probably. <laughs> yeah. That was funny. I mean, when, when Axel called me and he's like, Hey, do you want to do background vocals on the fear song? I don't care about you. I go, well, the good news is I already know the words. I mean, it was just, I mean, all it was, was I don't care about you, but I knew all the words. I wish I could have sang like a duet or something, but it was, it was just me in a studio. I don't even think Axel was there when I did that. But that, I mean, that's a band like, you know, Duff's got, Duff's got yep. lots of punk rock history and, and, uh, and there's a few people that do in the rock world, you know? Well, I actually, I didn't know about this till the other day, but do you know, Izzy Stradlin played in a band with the lead singer of Dead Fucking Last in 81? I was, I was not aware of that. I had no idea till the other day. They, they apparently in the nineties, someone put out a record of this session that they did in 81 and I'm, I'm now that's my number one want. I got to find that record. Uh, I don't, I did not know that, <laughs> but, but, but it doesn't surprise me. I mean, there's people that, that whose names keep on coming up that, that are people from the rock world. And you go, you don't remember me. I was the guy that was in that, or I was the guy mm-hmm. that was this, or, you know, and, and a lot of people say, oh yeah, I love punk rock. So I always have my like, you know, true tale tests. Like I'll ask them, oh, do you know this song? And if they do, then they're like, okay. <laughs> like a good example is, um is Ace Von Johnson plays in a band called Faster Pussycat. Now he's in LA Guns. Okay. And Ace is just a great, I say kid, he's probably in his late thirties now, but, um, we always go like, there's videos on YouTube of us playing music all over the place, doing bloodstains, doing code blue, doing all these things. There's all over YouTube of me doing, there's me doing punk rock songs, doing metal songs. Right. So Ace is like, so he meets me and he's like, yeah, you, you, you're into punk rock. I'm like, yeah, I go, he said, we should do some punk rock songs. I'm like, you know, the uh, Avengers, he's like American and me. I'm like, okay, you're cool. <laughs> so we said, cause I, I love that song. I thought that was just such a great song. Oh, yeah. And that's an obscure, to me, that's an obscure song. Mm-hmm. So the fact that he knew that song on guitar, I was like, okay, you, you've got cred in my book. Oh yeah. Like in, in another band that's just, uh, like you said, kind of sadly obscure now. Cause I guess they haven't had a lot of their stuff reissued in any sort of proper way, but yeah, like one of the great punk songs ever. Right. I covered that in my band battery club and I've done that with ACE and one day I better do it quick. I'd like to put out a record of just a bunch of covers. Yeah. And, uh, and the good news is people won't even know their covers. <laughs> <laughs> like I would definitely want to do American to me. Cause I just think that's just such a great song. I never, I don't think I ever saw the Avengers live. Well, I was going to say, like, what did Battery Club sound like? Was it just covers or were you doing originals too? No, I, I, we did a couple originals. I remember our first show, This, this <laughs> Jack Grisham saw us play because I used to do Code Blue mm-hmm. in almost every band I've ever done, but everybody does Code Blue. But Jack Grisham saw us, and I mean, this isn't very punk rock, but he goes, you guys are like a cross between Metallica and the Plimsolls. That's an amazing like, mix though. It kind of was. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, there was definitely the social distortion guitar sound mm-hmm. because John Maurer and, you know, we had a song, we had a song that you can find on YouTube called sick inside, which is very poppy punk. But this is when I say poppy punk, this is before, you know, blink 182 even made it. It was, or, or green day for that matter. Mm-hmm. I remember, I remember, um, I grew up with Jay Bentley also from bad religion. And I remember when bad religion was playing a show, I asked Jay, I'm like, Jay, 
can I let my band, why don't you let my band Battery Club opening up for you? He's like, nah, we got this band Green Day opening up. I'm like, who the fuck is Green Day? I'm like, let my band open up for him. But so um, that was kind of funny. Battery Club could have been Green Day. We weren't that good. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I was, without a doubt, I was the weakest link in the band. And it sucked because like we get gigs and I would never want anybody to know that I was in the band. Yeah. So we get gigs and and we'd show a place and it's like, oh, the guy from Headbangers Ball is like, no, because that's why I was on MTV. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I didn't want, you know, I wanted, I didn't mind them saying a guy from the adolescence, guy from Social Distortion, guy from Blood on the Saddle. I didn't mind people saying that stuff, but I didn't want people to say the guy from Headbangers Ball because then everybody's like, you know, why don't you play something from Pantera? I was like, because we can't. Yeah, but well, the guys from Pantera went oh, – here's the story. The guys from Pantera went to go see Battery Club play in Texas. And Dimebag and Vinny went and they bought our T-shirt. They bought our cassette. And they said, OK, guys, you guys all have to come back to the studio with us, right? So you all came back to the studio. And this was with um, John Knight, who was the drummer of DI, and Bosco, who also played in DI and a bunch of other bands. And we all went back to – and John Ma- – I think John Mauer was in the band too from Social D. And they all got so fucked up with the guys from Pantera that guys in my band were fighting with each other. They just – they couldn't hang with the guys from Pantera. They were like, <laughs> just leave us here. We're not – just leave us here. Uh, we're going to get somebody to pick us up. I think – I think – I don't remember. I think our drummer was John Knight at the time. And it was just – it was so funny because uh, they just couldn't <laughs> hang with the Pantera guys. But they all came to see us play. So that was kind of – that was kind of cool. Was it like, was everyone kind of like over, was it like a hard partying kind of band too? Or is it like, was everyone kind of battery club? Yeah. No, I was sober. Okay. Yeah. So, so, so I've been sober for a real long time. Yeah. Um, so it really wasn't, um, it really wasn't, I mean, I'm sure if I would have gotten loaded, we would have been a hell of a lot better, but (laughs) it wasn't, it really wasn't. It was just, nah. But you guys had a tape. Somehow we we record we we had been together for like a month, and I think somebody just out of pure curiosity said I think it was Virgin Records even put us in the studio and recorded some songs and it was a very cheap demo and very polished. We did four songs. I wrote the lyrics to them. One of the songs, the, the guitar riff that you hear in the background of the Cat House Hollywood. My podcast, mm-hmm. which I'd love to plug. Oh yeah, um, I'll plug it on the beginning and the end. Don't thank, worry, I do thank rap you so much. Um, but on the Cat House Hollywood podcast, the opening that's a song from Battery Club because I was so scared about using anybody else's <laughs> music that I'm like, I'm like, I know if I use my own music, nobody's going to get mad. Yes, <laughs> the ultimate play. That's why I have used every other band I've been in to soundtrack all my podcasts. <laughs> yeah, because I just I'm just too worried. That somebody's going to say, oh, you can't play this music in here. And Battery Club, people can do whatever the hell they want with that music. And it's it's on YouTube. I think Bosco put it all on YouTube. And, there, I mean, this song Sick Inside, which John Maurer from Social D wrote the music to, and I wrote the lyrics. And it's got a real SD vibe to it, mm-hmm. except it's just a little poppier. But I, I kind of like it. You know, I, I liked it. I think if we would have been together longer and, and got grittier and I would have gotten more comfortable, it who knows so where was that kind of power pop influence coming from was it like the plimsolls or were you guys nerves fans or like where was that no it's it it's just the way that the music came out i mean yeah i liked the adolescence i liked tsol i liked 
all those bands. And it was kind of like they came up with the music and I came up with the lyrics. I mean, it wasn't that poppy. It wasn't poppy borderlining on New Wave. I don't know why Jack said the plimsoll. <laughs> You know, but you know, we—I mean, we did—we did a couple. We got—we—we we did a show. We did a five shows opening up for Offspring, and this is you know right as Offspring was starting to. I think it was like Offspring, um, Total Chaos, and Us. What a tour! Holy yeah! Geez, I think a- I think we only played two shows with Total Chaos. <laughs> what was Total Chaos like to tour with? Because I was a huge I fan. Don't, of don't I don't remember. Okay, I remember we played some shows with Face to Face, and I think that they were mad at me because I think I might have pulled a rock star attitude on wanting to go on at a certain time, which I apologize if I did because <laughs> they were far better than us. But um, it was fun. I mean, I know I know that we did. Uh, no way and Tony came up and sang with us when we did No Way. Oh, that's awesome. And we do a couple punk rock songs. I'm sure we did Bloodstains, but we did Bloodstains, Avengers, American and Me, and Code Blue were probably the only covers that we did. And with American and Me, you know, everybody thought, Oh, I love that song you do. That that's a great I love your song. I'm like, Yeah, thanks. Okay. Oh, we did So Far Away too from Social D. That's awesome. So I guess going back to like, you know, when you were getting into punk rock and you started going to these shows. Uh, what was, what was like some of the other bands that you were drawn to at that time? Like, you know, like you mentioned, you know, obviously X, um, you know, Black Flag and the Germs and stuff like that. But were some of the, were there any bands that you saw that you felt like never really got the attention they should have other than of course, uh, the, the Gears, the Gears. Yes. That band's fucking Remember the awesome. Gears? Yes. The singer was named Axel Reese. <laughs> I had no idea about that. <laughs> Axel G Reese. I think, um, I remember going to see the Gears a lot. Um, that was a really good band. Ugh, let was, me try to think. Was it like different shows? Like if you went to a show in LA, would it be like a different sets of bands, like the suburban lawns and stuff like that? Versus like, if you went to a show, you know, more in the sort of like beach communities. Yeah. I mean, it, we, the thing is you would go see, you know, the adolescence red cross would be on a lot of shows mm-hmm. and it would be TSOL and the adolescence. And it was a lot of the same bands. We're, we're always playing shows together. And then in LA we had X, which is, which I saw also saw recently and they're so good. Mm-hmm. They're just so good. Uh, X a lot. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the bands it's, it, I'm drawing a blank right now. No. I remember the, Oh, the crowd. I remember the, okay. When it comes to beach music, the crowd, I remember that band. Yep. Um, and I remember the singer, I think his name was Jim Decker. And I remember the way he danced, you know, and they were really kind of like poppy surf music. The band that I wasn't into for some reason when I was younger that I got into much later was the Descendants. Really? Which, which I really love that band. I love that band, but I don't remember seeing them as a kid mm-hmm. for some reason. Cause I mean, I know they, they must've been, or maybe it was a little bit after that. And I don't remember seeing the Descendants back then, or Big Drill Car, or bands like that. So, like, ultimately, you end up owning a club. What of the early punk clubs was your favorite club? What the clubs that I went to were just the clubs that I could get into. Yeah, I guess that would be, be the ultimate deterrent. The Hong Kong Cafe, yeah. the Starwood. The Starwood would have they would have New Wave. It was called New Wave Night. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it would be the germs and sometimes it would be black flag of the circle jerks. And sometimes it'd be gang of four, but we would go there every Wednesday and Rodney was the DJ in, in one room 
and uh, you know, it might be Agent Orange. And so we would go every Wednesday would be New Wave Night at the Starwood. And then it would, I mean, Godzilla's was a club in LA, mm-hmm. the Vex, the Mask. Mask was an early club. Did you go to shows in the Mask ever? I know I went to one and it's so funny because that was the one that I keep on trying to remember because the Mask was a really cool club. Yeah. But I don't think I got to go to that many shows at the Mask because that was another one. I'm like, okay, I'm trying to remember the Mask. I'm trying to remember. And I couldn't remember it. And Godzilla's, I remember. That was Youth Brigade's club, I think they ran, right? Godzilla's? I think they actually, that was the club that the Stern Brothers did. I don't remember. Maybe. I'm, I might be mistaken on that, too. So I would... oh, ba- okay, another, a couple bands I remember. Now I'm, I'm remembering bands that I like. I remember China White. Mm-hmm. I remember Shattered Faith. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, I'm, now I am drawing a blank. But those are the bands that I would go see at clubs. But um, the Gears, I know I liked a real lot, and I don't think they really – not too much. Because they were another band that kind of were I, – I wouldn't say poppy, but – you know, they were just a good band. Yeah. What were the bands that started drawing you more towards, like, as you say, the rockabilly stuff and like drawing you kind of away from the, the more capital H hardcore stuff that was happening at the time. Oof. Maybe the cramps, the meteors and, uh, the rock cats, we the rock cats. Mm-hmm. And I fucking, the stray cats, when they came out, they were so fucking great. Mm-hmm. I mean, when they used to play, you know, I know Sid did something else and come on everybody, but when they used to play those songs, it was punk rock. Mm-hmm. And, and you would go to some of these rockabilly shows and it was sort of like, it was sort of like punk rock, you know? Um, it was, it was like punk rock kind of like a lot of people would go maybe towards the ska scene and some people would go to the rockabilly and then the rockabilly would go to the, Teddy Boys or the I don't remember what all the little sanctions of rockabilly <laughs> bands were, but every everybody had all their little bang. I mean, just like metal, there's like 50 different types of metal. I don't. It's all rock. Like Billy Joel says, it's all rock and roll to me. I don't even remember what they all are. Yeah, like, and I guess at the same time, were you like you, you must have been like a, a New York Dolls fan, like into that kind of side of the punk rock stuff that was happening. Definitely, I still have my original New York Dolls vinyl. Um, I still have a lot of that stuff that I listened to when I was a kid. You know, the only band, like I remember when the clash played the palladium and I didn't go. And that was a show like that was the one band that I sort of appreciated later yeah. that I never saw. Yeah. Like I wish I would have, but you know, when, when it came to the pot, I, I like Johnny thunders. I really like generation X and stuff like that, which, uh, nine, 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 um, I still have all my 999. I think 999 was one of the early bands that I started to like a real lot. And then when I remember when they started playing Homicide on the radio, I was like, oh, fuck, now everybody likes 999. But that song's you so know? good. That song's Homicide? Good. Yeah. I think that song. Is a poser just, song? I, no, I don't use that word because I've been <laughs> called it more than anybody. Um, yeah, but we're, we're we're proving that that is, anyone who calls you that clearly does not I don't know. care. There used to be a store when we were punkers. There was a store called Poser in Hollywood. Yeah. And that's where everybody – and there still is a Poser, but it's not the same. And that's where everybody went. And the whole term for Poser was like you want to pose. You want you don't care about doing stuff that made people stare. Mm-hmm. It, I don't – like that. there's that song from X-Ray Specs. You know, I'm a Poser. I don't care. I don't mind. I'm a Poser. I don't care. I like making people stare. So it wasn't this thing that meant like you're just in this scene and you're not really belonging. You know, it was that's that was so stupid. 
you know but every band's got that song you know like touch a gray by the grateful dead or you know there's that one song that like you know the fans hate because they're like oh that's the song that got everybody into it yeah i um i think that was probably the way with homicide because i heard it i think that was homicide even though like if i heard it now i'd be like oh that's a good song yeah but there were so many so many great songs from 999 that i really liked you know them a lot and uh, like I said, I liked a lot of the, I think, you know, the, the Hersham boys records, um, from sham 69 really broadened my horizon because it, because Jimmy Percy would put out stuff, you know, when he, Mr. You're a better man than I, you know, he was putting out like mellow shit too, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I, I think that was like kind of broaden it. Like it doesn't all have to be just like, you know, this fast, you know, OC guitar sound. So with the LA rock stuff, was that kind of developing parallel to the punk stuff that was happening? Like, obviously that would become huge and take over the world eventually. But like, was that stuff rising at the same time? Like, were you witnessing to it or were you had, did you have a foot? It was because, um, it was, and it was getting bigger, but back then, I mean, they, they didn't really cross that much. Mm -hmm. It was like punk rock and it was metal and you hated the metal kids and the metal kids hated the rock kids. But there were bands like the Joneses and straight out Guns N' Roses that to me crossed the barriers that, that as the, even though Guns N' Roses, you know, came in like 85, but there were bands that had that raw Johnny Thunders type stuff that you would go to shows like a Johnny Thunder show. Mm-hmm. You know, and and it and it was, and the rock thing just got bigger and bigger, and then the punk thing. I don't know if it was the violence or, but there was just something that I just kind of got a little bit delusioned, and I just wasn't as into it as, even though I still listen to music, I never stop listening to music, but the scene just kind of seemed a little stale to me, and it became like everybody was into punk rock. Yeah, you know, so I think so. A lot of that that scene I kind of missed, and just started to listen and then got into rock and roll because the rock and roll scene that I call the cat house scene that was kind of a lot of it was around my club in 1986 to me felt like punk rock because it was a community. It was the misfits. It was all the bad people. It wasn't that sunset strip Gazari scene. You know, there's, there's a couple episodes of my, of the cat house Hollywood podcast. that really explains that, that we were more listening to, you know, T-Rex and Bowie and the Sex Pistols and Hanoi Rocks and stuff like that more than we were listening to like the, you know, really glammy stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, Han- Hanoi Rocks too, like that's a band that through Briard like has roots right back to Finnish punk. But yeah, like they, they obviously get lumped in with glam stuff uh, or like, you know, when people are dismissive of glam stuff, but they are like glam in that awesome sense, like just great rock and roll. That was just a band that, that really... Like that would be, they would have been a gateway for me, I think, into the rock thing. Mm-hmm. Because when I started, when I started liking Hanoi Rocks, uh, I, I was like, okay, these guys are, you know, these guys, they have it. I mean, that, it, it's true. Like, where do you file Hanoi Rocks? Do you follow them into rock or do you follow them into punk or metal or whatever? So I think they were part of the scene. And, and then the truth is, as the scene started growing, um, I opened up the cat house and then, I became a part of that scene and my club became the biggest rock club of that scene till every band wanted to play the cat house. And it was, 
it was then I was like the metal guy and then the headbangers ball thing came up and I was like all of a sudden the spokesperson for heavy metal, <laughs> yeah. which was, which I'm not, which I'm not, you know, I'm not putting down. I'm not, I'm not saying I was not the metal guy. I mean, I still love Metallica and Slayer and Megadeth and, and Skid Row and Cinderella. And I, I love those bands. Those are great bands, but you know, I, it was just like, so what? I like a lot of different stuff. And then that's yeah. all of a sudden I was that guy. So, you know, when I had the chance to wear Pennywise shirt on Headbangers Ball or Rancid shirt on Headbangers Ball or Germ shirts, which I wore from my second show, big, long, poofy hair, I had a Germ shirt on. And there's mm-hmm. tons of things with me wearing because I love music. I love true rock and roll of all things, you know. Like I was a, a VJ for a minute, but I was definitely at a much less kind of focused on point of being a VJ. So, but I know what it's like where people eventually kind of put a character on you that they expect you to be the person that they see on TV. Was that something that you found people did to you eventually? Like where you became, Oh like my God. I don't know if there's anybody that got it worse than I did, Yeah, but I don't say that as like whining. Because I, without a doubt, had the fucking greatest job in the world, <laughs> yeah. you know. But so you know, all of a sudden it's like, okay, Ricky, uh, I know you've only been here for two weeks, but we're gonna fly you to England and you're gonna interview Aerosmith. I'm like, uh, I'm gonna interview Steven Tyler and Joe Perry. It's like, are you kidding me? It's like I've met, you know, and I became friends with Lemmy because even though Lemmy used to hang out at the Cat House, I became friends with Lemmy from that show. Yeah. And it was just, it was great. But the problem was, you know, the Slayer fans were mad because I wasn't playing Slayer all the time. (laughs) And then when we played metal, heavier stuff, the people that like Skid Row were mad because I was playing. So people thought that I sat there and picked every video. What the truth of the matter is I never picked a video on Headbangers Ball in the entire time I was there. On my birthday, I gave them a list of videos I want to play. The only video that they played that I wanted was a motorhead video. So when I would get on, on, um, headbangers ball and say, suicidal tendencies is my favorite band. Danzig is my favorite band. And I would say all these bands are my favorite band. It got irritating to people, but it's cause sometimes I played videos that I didn't like. So when there was a band that I was really excited about, I would say they're my favorite band. And if I watched me on headbangers ball, I don't know if I would like me either, but it was, it was just this job. And I, I had no background in TV. The first couple years I was interviewing, reading questions off cards. And then after a while I said, okay, fuck the cards. I'm just going to talk to these people. And that's when we had like really, really good shows, but there was nobody telling me do this, do that. And I didn't, I didn't really learn, you know, I, I'm much better at doing it now than I ever was because I didn't really know, but I was that guy on MTV in charge of the whole metal community. And so Whatever it was, we're not playing every genre. And the other thing is, every kid in that liked heavy metal wanted my job. Yeah, you know, everybody wanted my job, and everybody believed they could do it better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, but and it's also it's funny because you say like you know if you would watch it, you would have been you would have hated it, or or you wouldn't have maybe not liked yourself. But at the same time, it's like it's not for you. It was for people. Well, I'm in Canada, so I didn't get to see it unless I was on family vacation. But it's for people like me. You know, like it was to get me into music. And so when you're like, oh, Danzig's my favorite band, it's like, how many kids took note of that and went out and bought Danzig afterwards? I hear 
all the time that people say, dude, you turn me on to Pantera. Yeah. And, and I was like, I was just a, like, I didn't re- like, it wasn't like I heard Pantera and said, let's play this on the show. I mean, it's so flattering, especially because Pantera is so great. Mm-hmm. And, and to, you know, when people say for, for a while, I was kind of like, Oh God, I'm the, yeah, yeah. I'm the headbangers ball guy. Yeah. Whatever. And it kind of like, like would bug me. And now when people say that, you know, for me to discount that show, which was so important to them is like kind of fucked up. And now I realize how important that show was. And I'm so honored and grateful to be that guy from Headbangers Ball. It's still weird when people mention VJs that my name is mentioned because I don't think of myself as an MTV VJ, but I was. And mm-hmm. my show was one of the biggest shows on MTV. Oh, yeah. Like it, it is, you know, like it's one thing to be growing up in Los Angeles or like myself growing up in Toronto. It's nothing to be growing up in the middle of, you know, rural Manitoba. You know, right. not Manitoba in case, but like somewhere like rural America. And then all of a sudden you have access to, you know, like, you know, you're seeing a guy wear a shirt with the germs on it. Like they wouldn't have that at the CD store necessarily, or they wouldn't have that at the record store or like, you know, like playing Pantera videos. It, it's such like a, an outpost for, for people to get into culture. Like it, you right. need those big nets to, to be cast in order to bring the fish in. Well, I, I, the thing about that show is that, you know, there's a lot of other hosts on TV now that do music videos and ask about the producers and the engineering and stuff like this. And they're all journalists. And the truth is I was never a journalist. I was never a reporter. All I was, was a music fan. And that's all I still am. You know? So when I go to the big four and I see Metallica and, and Anthrax and Slayer and Megadeth, you know, I'm freaking out because it's a great, great show. Mm-hmm. I don't care about the engineer or why they're doing this. I'm just out there having fun. You know, and it's it's with the same, you know, and it brings me back to my youth. And now occasionally I'll go see bands that remind me of, you know, that have that old the feel of the punk rock. I don't give a fuck thing. But a lot of people don't. But, you know, and, and I still I go see old punk rock bands that, I, that are still great. You know, and now yeah. now I'm now I'm I'm. I'm in the luxury now that I just go see bands that I want to see. Like I don't have to go see bands that I don't want to see. Mm-hmm. And now you're seeing bands that are playing music because of you, you know, because you expose them to these bands. And Which now- is just weird. It's just weird. I mean, it's, you know, I'm, I'm my, I am my worst critic and, and I don't, you know, when people say nice stuff like that, it's, it's very, very flattering, but I was, you know, a lot of it is just, I was in the right place, the right time, you know, but it was pretty cool. I mean, Cat House, I'll take all the credit for that. You know, the Cat House was great. You know? well, and, that, and that's the thing, right? Like, I, I think that's the difference between you and, you know, other people. Like, you weren't, you know, you're like, I'm not a journalist. But you're, you're coming at, you're from the scene, you know? And, like, you coming there and being that VJ, I imagine you had a different relationship with a lot of these artists than just some random-ass journalist because well, you own the club. Yeah, I mean, I can't tell you who the engineer of the Guns N' Roses record was. But I can tell you what it's like when I woke up in the gutter next to Slash or something like that. You <laughs> yeah, know? Exactly. I mean, I can tell you those things. I might not be able to tell you, you know, I the the where the studio was or what track it is because I just don't give a fuck. Yeah. You know, when I when I listen to music, I'm like, oh, this song's great. I love this song, and I don't, re- you know, I don't go into that that deep of it. I don't know about producers or engineers, and I never did, and I I don't care. I just lie. I know what I like and I know what I don't like. Did, did the stuff, you know, like you said, it was like very different. And there were a couple of bands that crossed over, but did, did uh, like aggressions between punk and metal 
ever spill out onto the streets or ever become, was there ever like real conflict between punk and metal bands? Ugh. Or I mean, like I know fans that, even. I mean, I knew there was a riot at the suicidal tendency show, mm-hmm. but I don't know if that would have been it. I mean, there was a time that, that, you know, the punks would hate long hairs, but when, when punk first started, there were a lot of people that had long hair in it, yeah. you know? Yep. So it was kind of, it was, it was kind of weird. But if there were punk metal riots, I'm sure there were shows that had both bands play and there were fight. I just, and there were probably things that I was at, but I just don't even remember that kind of stuff, you know? Yeah. Like it feels like, I wonder how much of that is put on. Cause I remember hearing like an urban legend of Henry Rollins, the misfits getting into a fight with Molly crew, but I'm just like, is that just fans making that shit up later after the fact and like trying to put a legend onto this thing? I have no idea. I don't remember. You know, one it was kind of funny. I had a I had a barbecue when I was doing Headbangers Ball, and I got to invite. And so MTV invited some bands there, and I invited some of my friends. And Slayer put out an album of punk rock covers. Yeah, I remember and, that. Yep. And they had Richard hung himself the DI song, and Casey Royer was at my house, and I told I think it was Tom or I or somebody from Slayer. And I'm like, dude, that's Casey Royer, and he didn't even know who Casey Royer was. <laughs> And I was like, that's the guy that sings Richard Hung himself. And that's not putting down Slayer because no. I think fucking Slayer is great, 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 one of the all-time greatest. And that, to me, Slayer sounds like punk rock. But I thought it was kind of funny. It's like, dude, that's the guy that does Richard Hung himself. <laughs> He's right there. Just go the Now, there are – I've heard – okay, now I'm going to tell you a band that I heard that I know nothing about. Okay, I know nothing about this band um, that – brings back everything of my punk rock youth and i hope i don't know anything about this band turnstile oh one of the best one of the best holy shit i bought and when i say i bought the record i bought the record i haven't bought records for a long time i don't know anything about this band except i listen to their music and they are i mean that band reminds me of when i first heard the the black flag seven inch you know yeah, and they're I, good when I people. See Black Flag, Ron Reyes was a singer of Black Flag when I used to go see Black Flag. So, I, like, this is always this is a very long-standing debate on this show. Being someone that has seen multiple iterations of Black Flag, who do you is the best of the four singers? Ron Reyes. <laughs> that's see, that's I always go to that too. <laughs> Am I the only one that says that? Well, I only go to it because of Decline of Western Civilization. That footage of him is fucking ridiculous. Ridiculous. So that's always been my pick, but no, you're, we're one of the few that does say that though. Most people say Dez or I don't, I, and this is, this is nothing about Dez at all. Yeah. Nothing bad about Dez at all, but I would go Ron Reyes and then I'd go Keith Morris. Wow. That's awesome. Okay. No. And, and you're someone who was there. So this is coming from a firsthand perspective. Yeah. And you tell, yeah. And you go and tell people, it's like, yeah, well, Ricky Rackman says Ron Reyes and then and then Keith Morris and everybody's like, what the fuck is Ricky Ragman know about black flag? <laughs> I'd all be like, he went to fucking universal studios with Darby crash. Get <laughs> into it. And I do have the Polaroid of that. That's a great thing. I do have a picture of that. Yeah. Like he was, he potentially could have been the singer of the angry Simones. Okay. Yeah, so. No, 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 no. Never would. Have. It would be like Ralph Macchio singing for the angry Simones. <laughs> I would kill to see Ralph Macchio singing for the angry Simones. <laughs> You're selling me on this one. Yeah. I, with, with black flag, I would say that Ron Reyes was definitely my favorite favorite singer I, now i haven't seen them with mike Vallely in the band because yeah. isn't he singing for black flag now he is but like i don't know i haven't seen him sing either but i do not think it's going to be better than ron reyes 
I would. It's not going to be better than Ron Reyes, but I like Mike Vallely. I do. I do like Mike Vallely too. And and by God, I'm not going to say he's the worst singer of Black Flag in case he ever finds me. So. Yeah, he's a badass. He's a he's gnarly. He's he's a good dude though. I like that guy a lot. I remember I had a, um, I had a skate video of him that was just him fighting people. <laughs> that was that's all his videos. Yeah. He did a video where he went to get in a fight with the guy that was like the brawler of the LA Kings. And, mm-hmm. I remember the guy, and he made a video. That just He's like, I'm just going to fight him. And he was friends with him. And they went in there and they dropped the gloves and they just fought. Yeah. Mike Vallely was a badass, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. Just t- totally amazing. Well, Ricky, this has been totally amazing. And I've kept you for a very long time. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Stop. I didn't hear what you said about Turnstile. Are they? Oh, have they're the you best. Ever seen them? Yeah, they're the best. They're if you haven't seen them live, imagine them being almost even better live than that record. And they are amazing people. Like they are actually good people that you can be like. I not only back the music, but I back the people making this music. Well, where are they where are they from? DC. Oh, they are. Yeah, and it's like there's a whole scene of bands. Um, that kind of like came out of this. Uh, well, there's this band trapped under ice and the drummer of trapped under ice is the lead singer of turnstile. And there's like a bunch oh. of other bands that they kind of all are from the same scene. And then none of them, none of the bands really sound the same, but they're all really interesting. There's this band angel dust, which is one of the sort of main fixtures of the scene and a bunch of people from turnstile playing different instruments on it. And it's really poppy, really, really poppy, but fantastic too. Yeah, when I heard Turnstile, I was like, this is my youth. This is so great. And I would go to people and I'd be like, hey, have you heard this band? And they're like, no. And I was like, oh, shoot. You know, because it, it that, was, that was a band that, that, like I said, I went and bought the records. There's not a lot of new bands that play so-called punk rock that are kids that I, that I would go to see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that was, that's a band that I would definitely go to see. Oh, that's awesome. No, and you you have picked a good one. Like if you oh, if you're like, I've heard this new band, they're super awesome there, and it would have been something terrible. I would have been like in a real awkward position, but luckily <laughs> you picked an amazing band. Good, good, um, good. But Ricky, I've kept you forever, and I do have to ask you about one thing, which is something that yeah. I'm obsessed with, and I I and being someone that was there, I have to know about it. Let's talk a little bit about pro wrestling, my friend. <sighs> You don't have to this go was, too much into it. <laughs> no, this was a this was just a bummer for me. Really? Okay? Because the, the 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 story how this came about, this is you know, my life which I'm going to be doing another podcast called The Triple R, which I'm going to tell the stories that aren't necessarily cat house related mm-hmm. because people would not believe the stories. So, I like wrestling, okay? So, I'm I go I have season tickets for the Los Angeles Kings. And the guy that sits next to me is Jason Hervey. Yeah. Jason Hervey was on the television show, The Wonder Years. Okay. Mm-hmm. Jason Hervey's like best friend partner is Eric Bischoff. So they, I, I did talk radio for a while and here, here I'll just cut to the chase. Cause this is weird how this ended. I did talk radio. Okay. I didn't know really how the radio business works. And sometimes what radio hosts do is they like to talk smack about the other radio hosts and that like they build disputes like, I hate this guy. And they like talking smack about each other. And that's what radio hosts do. You know, Mm -hmm. they insult each other. Well, this guy started insulting my friends. Then he insulted my girlfriend. 
and I went to the station. I beat the shit out of him, and I got arrested. <laughs> I got arrested. Yeah, I've never not not a lot of people know this story. <laughs> so I don't mean to laugh at it, but this is a it, a it, wild it story. I did not think yeah. it was going to go there. Yeah. So it does go to wrestling, though. So I got arrested, got thrown in jail, got bailed out. Um, went from a nice six figure job to making zero to going broke, and I could and nobody would hire me because if they hired me. And I got in a fight. It'd be thought of as violence at the workplace, and I'm a better whatever. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, meanwhile, they had Eric Bischoff's like, "Hey, let's get the Headbangers Ball guy to come. He was an MTV VJ, and to work spring break for WCW." Okay, basically, they would have me do these spring break things, and I'd be like, "Hey, it's Ricky Rackman here. We're at Club La Vila." And this is brought to you by Tough Actin Tenactin for foot stuff. And I'm like, really? This is what I'm doing? And I'm doing all this stuff. And then they would have me do the intro for Nitro. Like I would walk out on stage and I kept on saying, guys, I would love to just be a heel manager. I would be so great. I'm so easy to get people to hate me. Let me be this Hollywood heel manager. So I'd come out for my three seconds of introducing Monday Nitro and, um, and you know, have my couple seconds, but they wouldn't have me do anything else. And then for spring break, they'd have me do a couple things. And one of the things they had me do is I was like, I was the guy that hung out with all the Nitro girls. Yeah. Every Nitro girl treated me like a fucking brother, you know? I was like – like it was just like, oh, he's so, – you're like our brother. I'm like, I don't want to be like your brother. So one day we did this promotion where we went traveling around trying to find Miss Nitro. And every city we went to, we had these girls audition for Miss Nitro. And then we went to Chicago and we had this girl named Stacy Keebler audition. For Miss Nitro. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I, and I was like, guys, this girl is – she's pretty. She's so nice. Well, she won Miss Nitro and we know the rest of the story would happen with her in her career. Yeah. So there was a boy band in WCW called Three Count. At the oh, time. I know Three Count. Absolutely. Right. <laughs> and I was like, here's a great gimmick. Let me be Three Count's manager. And I kept on trying to build up a rivalry between me and Disco Inferno. And Disco was very cool about it. And he would – and so we would do like a couple bits here and there. But it just didn't let – they just – I just kept on – and they kept me on. They kept me on and paid me a lot of money. But like I'd come to every single Monday Night Show and I'd say, coming to you from Memphis, Tennessee, this is Monday Nitro. Here's DJ Ran, and then the DJ would play. Yeah. And I was like, let me do something. The only, there was a couple times that I had little things. One time we did Monday Nitro, and um, they and they said, okay, Ricky, you're going to go in the ring to judge the Miss Nitro contest. Walk in the ring, and NWO is going to come out. And that was with Kevin Nash and Hulk Hogan and Scott Hall, who was just – Scott Hall was a prick. Really? And, um, but Kevin Nash was awesome. Yeah. Fucking awesome. So so I walk in there and I, they go, okay, just walk into the ring and you're going to judge the Miss Nitro contest in front of all these people. I go, okay. So the, so I walk in there and the first thing I get into the ring and I try to pull the ropes. And what I did not know is <laughs> when those guys grab the ring, you've been in a ring before. Yeah. When those guys pull the, the ropes open, those guys bench press like 300 pounds, <laughs> 400, 500 pounds. Okay. 
I walk in there thinking I'm just going to spread open the ropes, and I couldn't. <laughs> yeah, they're, you know? they're tight. So I was like, oh. So then I walk in the ring, and I start talking to the crowd while all the cameras are behind me and filming my back. <laughs> so I sucked. So then we do a little gimmick where I'm supposed to pick, I'm supposed to pick Miss Nitro, and then Kevin Nash grabs me and puts my head, my head between his legs, and he's going to powerbomb me, and then I decide to go and pick, you know, their Miss Nitro. And that was like the only little shoot that I like the only like little thing that I got to do. And I kept on writing and I'm and I, I got to hang out in the dressing room. The dressing room before the events was I would go in the announcer's dressing room. So it was me, Gene Okerlund, uh Bobby Heenan, and Tony Schiavone. And I would sit there every fucking Monday and hear these stories that Bobby would tell and Gene would tell. And I was like, look, don't ever use me. But I'm having – but please don't fire me because listening to these guys <laughs> tell me stories about Harley Race and stuff like that, I was like, this fucking rules. So then I would go out there and everybody's like, oh, he's a fucking BJ. He shouldn't be in wrestling whatever. Um, and then they would do spring breaks and they, they would do like little tours to universities. Yeah. So I would go do university tours and they'd put like me and Scott Steiner – going to colleges and I would talk to all the kids in the colleges, which, you know, I was, you know, out of college for long, never really went to, I never went to college, yeah. but I'd go to all the big at Brown university and all these universities with the nitro tour. And I would be like, Hey, everybody, like my whole thing on WCW Monday nitro was, Hey, you're watching Monday nitro. And if you've got athletes foot, don't forget tough accents and acting. And that would be it. And so it's like, who's going to, I had no heat. Nobody cared about me when I was on the show. And one night we're at a bar and Eric Bischoff is drunk. And Eric Bischoff tells me, he's like, dude, you're going to be bigger than mean Gene. You're going to be the biggest. And he's telling me all this shit, right? Yeah. And he's saying you're going to be, and I'm like so excited, but I didn't want to be, because first of all, I could never be mean Gene. You know, it's like, you can't, it's like saying, you know, you're going to, here, you're going to, I'm going to teach you how to play basketball and you're going to be better than LeBron James. It's like, yeah. no, yeah. you know, no, I don't want to be mean Gene because I can't because he's so good, but I could be a really good, you know, put me with Jimmy Hart, but make me a, a manager. I still want to be a manager. I'll be a man. If any independent firms want to have me be a manager, I'd love to do it. You know? Yeah. And, awesome. um, and it would be so great. I said, let's bring back the headbangers. How much does that make sense? Yeah. Bring back the headbangers. Make me a manager. So they, so Eric Bischoff tells me all this stuff, and I'm like so excited, but nothing ever happened. Nothing happened. And we tried to do a couple little things with um, with Disco, and then we're then one night they did a live like pay per view behind the scenes, and it was like three hours live, and I was the host for the entire three hours. And it was before the pay-per-view that was the last WCW event. Mm -hmm. And this was the WCW event that was going to be the thing where, you know, uh, Vince was there. And the I simulcast, that, right? Yes. And I was there for that event. And I knew that when, when the crossover happened, I knew that WWF at the time wasn't going to pick me up. Mm -hmm. So I got to do this, this spring break event and I got to interview at all the wrestlers live and it was just like no breaks like three hours nonstop, and um it was so cool 
but you know, nothing ever happened. And, and it was a shame because I really wanted to be brought back to do something. You know, I wanted to be, I wanted to be a heel manager. I really wanted to. And I thought I would have been, I thought I would have been great at it. I still do. Oh yeah. You versus disco would have been incredible. That's what it would have been so great. And we tried, Yeah, you know, we tried and there's a, there's a, I think even on the interview, if you look like, if you search nitro, there's a thing with me at a bar sitting with me and disco going back and forth. And I'm like the manager of three count and telling everybody how three count gets all the girls and this and that. And, um, and it was, it was great because I mean, my whole career is like, I wanted to be a rock star. I wanted to be a race car driver and I wanted to work in wrestling. I didn't get to do any of those, but I got to talk about it for a living. Mm-hmm. So, and that's what I do, you know, now. So I got to go to wrestling events and, you know, when everybody was done with their, with their little, um, part, they would grab their little roll on suitcase and jump on the plane and go home. And every time I would be done with saying Monday Nitro, I'd go walk and sit in the stands and watch the event rate, watch the, the events every, mm-hmm. every Monday mm-hmm. and have so much fun that I got to do these, but I was just doing all the spring break stuff and hosting the spring break events. Which you did. Was, Sorry, you did something with Jim Ross too before that, like early in the Oh night. my God. That well, that was I don't even remember how that came about. That was when I was like on Headbangers Ball for one year and it was W I don't even know what it was I think. called. I think it was called WCW and it was me and Jim Ross. And I really they just had me doing like the announcing with them and they used to do their shows like in the, this was this was a long 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 time ago I, I think i think i think they had stunning steve in those days yeah like i think it's it might be it's before eric bischoff took over definitely and i mean i had my long hair and i think i had like a vest with my shirt open and look stupid and i was just i wasn't very good i was nervous but i think yeah i did do that one thing with jim ross and that was that was probably like 1991 i'm thinking I think that's on YouTube because I remember watching that mm. a, a long time ago and just being like, well, it's just also like, you know, because you're I think you're wearing like maybe even an anthrax. You're wearing like a metal shirt. Like, you know, you you look like you do. And then besides you, Jim Ross in very much like not looking like Jim Ross classically looks now, like looking like a, a young Jim Ross. And it's just quite the quite the pair. <laughs> like, just like the <laughs> thing that was really great about that that gig is that. In a lot of times, you know, when you have other hosts or something that people are competitive, but people really like Tony Schiavone and, mm-hmm. and Gene Okerlund and, and, and everybody was really cool. And it was like being on the road at camp. You know, I was having so much fun and hanging out with Rey Mysterio. And, you know, we had Billy Kidman at the time who I thought was, was great. And there were just a lot of wrestlers that, that I just, I enjoyed it. And I'm, I'm sorry, you know, I haven't seen Chris Jericho's um, stuff yet, This, but, but I want to, and, and I like wrestling. That's why I really like your show. But, um, you know, I haven't really seen any, anything in wrestling that I can really get behind like I used to. Oh, there's, it's, yeah, I'm sure we'll find you something. That's the thing is now, if you ever liked wrestling, there's something for you now, because it just feels like this is a. Uh, I don't know, like it's exploding now. Like there's just so much stuff globally happening in wrestling. Um, it's and it's you know what it is. It feels like the way that me- it's it's very metal. You know, <laughs> it's like there's metal behind it, and they're using a lot of the music, and a lot of the artists are kind of getting into it and talking about it. 
and um well and punk too right because the time that you're at wcw there's yourself there's bob mold writing and there's the misfits that's true that's true how crazy was that that is the most How crazy that thing. Bob was even at WCW. Everything about cr- that is crazy. <laughs> and the, and the, and the bummer is that we didn't really talk much then, mm-hmm. you know, like if we would have sat down and talked to each other about that stuff, that would have been so cool. Yeah. You no, know, it's, but it's, we, well, go on. So we didn't. Well, I guess you guys also are in like, it's, it's kind of a tumultuous time for WCW, right? Like it's, the company, as you say, like you were, you were working the last event they ever had, but. Well, I was actually, I mean, they had me doing spring break for a couple of years. So yeah. when I was doing Monday Nitro was right during the Monday Night Wars. I mean, that was when it was like, it was WCW versus WWF, which was a great time in wrestling because I, re- I remember, I mean, I remember the rock, you know, when, when somebody, I don't remember who was crossed over to WWF and Rock says, you're over there with WCW fighting people called Hooventude. And I just remember, <laughs> I just lost it. It was so funny. Um, but there were so there were so many people that I was, I mean, I remember hanging out with Raven and and Saturn and, yeah. and and all these people that was like, you know, Scott Steiner and Buff and and Goldberg, who I who I talk to every so often who's really good. And, and Steve Austin, who I didn't hang out, but he answered one of my tweets today and that made my whole day. So <laughs> it's like, I still get excited, get really excited about stuff like that. So do you have any Scott Steiner stories from being on the road with him? He's scary. Yeah. That's, that's we can leave it there then. <laughs> well, there was a time that Scott Steiner and buff had a lot of heat with each other on camera and off. Mm-hmm. And I remember there was an event that happened that like people were like very like like really wanted to watch it because they knew that Buff and Scott did not like each other, and I don't remember what happened, but um, I remember spring breaks used to get crazy, especially with Buff Bagwell, who I talked to like not that long ago. I don't remember why, but some I think somebody put him on the phone and, and to, uh, caught, got to catch up. Yeah, he was he was a good. Truth is that it was a really fun job. I was bummed because I didn't get utilized. Like if you give me a job and send me out on the road, use me for something. I mean, there were times that I would fly to Houston, get out there, get ready to go. And they, and I would say it's Monday nitro. And then they'd say, okay, that's it, Ricky. Like I would go there every week hoping like today's my break. They're going to use me for something. And they never done like, come on, I'm that kid on the bench. Play me coach, play me coach. But they never did. Yeah. but but that being said, like, but, you know, I, you know, that, that to me is where I, because I didn't grow up with MTV in Canada. Like to me, like, it was like, oh, from WCW. Like that was my. Nobody ever says that. Well, that was Nobody my Nobody says Ricky Rackman from WCW. <laughs> I didn't do anything. I mean, I, I, maybe I did more. Than I rem- I, that's probably I remember. Did I do much more than that? Well, no, but those I were, those were key segments. And also, cause those were like the only segments that weren't like talking about the spring break stuff that weren't in the wrestling universe. Like it was almost like, you know, like it went to a, well, it did literally go to a remote location, but it's almost like it broke the fourth wall and went somewhere else. Like you're, you're with fans that were watching wrestling. Yeah. Yeah. Stuff. It was, so those segments just stand out for, to me for some reason. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, I, I loved it. I, it was, it was a job that I loved it and it, it ended because WCW ended. Like mm-hmm. I, it wasn't a doubt in my mind that when WCW ended that I was going to be like, okay, I'm not coming with you guys to WWF. 
Well, so uh, it was a bu- it was a bummer for me, but it was a bummer for a lot of people. Well, Disco Inferno is now over there in Impact Wrestling, being a bit of a manager. So maybe there is a, another shot in wrestling for you. Well, that's good because I heard he was a doorman at a strip bar. <laughs> he does he- both. He's got he's got a lot of jobs. Oh, good, good. <laughs> yeah, he was he was. I hung out with him a lot because he was kind of like the butt end of a lot of jokes. <laughs> As I was, and he was a good dude. I liked him a lot. I think I'll reach out to him. But I, I think I'm like, like I don't, I don't remember. But I don't know how to get if I should send a message to Chris Jericho or something. I will, but- I will get you. I will put you in touch with Disco. I'm, I'm not friends with Disco directly, but I def- we have some mutuals. So I think you guys definitely need to reconnect so I can help make that happen. And now I live in the South, but like, yeah, if there's any, you know, here in I live in North Carolina now. And if there was ever any little federations or any organizations that wanted me to do something, if they've got a little independent event and they want me to do something stupid, I'll do it. I'm not going to get hit with a chair now because I get hurt just sitting in a chair regularly. But, uh, I think it'd be great because I just I love I love wrestling. Well, Ricky, I've loved this. I've kept you long enough. And anytime you want to come back, please know the door is always, always open. Thank this you is- so much. I love your show. I love this show, too. And just make sure that you plug my freaking podcast. <laughs> Don't worry, dude. I will do the reciprocal deal. I promise. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you, Ricky, for coming on the show. And you heard right there, Ricky will be back for a part two in the future. He will be here to uh, discuss more stuff with me because that's that's what we want to do. We want to discuss more music stuff. Speaking of discussions and discussions I had specifically with Ricky, you heard in that episode, Ricky and I talking about Jay Bentley from the band Bad Religion. And what better segue into next week than by having Jay Bentley himself appear on Turn Out of Punk. How's that for some amazing booking? That's that's some collaboration between Tristan and I. So there you go. Yeah, I like when we do this stuff. I like when we talk about someone and then... They appear, you know, it's almost like we summon them to the turned out of punk arena for for combat and, and violence and whatnot. No, just nerding out about records. But the Jay Bentley one's an amazing one. We get to talk to Jay about Epitaph, all sorts of good stuff. That is next week on the show. Or, yeah, probably next week on the show. Maybe maybe later on this week. Who knows? Who knows? You know, I'm, 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 I like this idea of just like kind of peppering you surprising you with episodes and sometimes they show up late you know sometimes sometimes there's two in a week most of the time it's late but sometimes there's two in a week anyway that's it for now thank you everyone for listening thank you for supporting the show thank you for telling your friends uh go out there and make your own culture sign your organ donor cards and uh, that's it i will see you next week